Peace be to you. Henry the Cobbling of Evil. Let us begin with a question. Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Curiosity Catholic, the Evangelion podcast. Evangelion's mission is to light the fire of Christ in the hearts of all Catholics by sharing the truth of our faith in a compelling manner, and that involves you. So if you would like to get involved with the Evangelion mission or help out by donating, please do visit us at the website at evangelion.co.nz and check us out. If you want to be the first to find out about the events we're running or content that we're putting out, like our blog or the podcast, uh, do subscribe to our email list and join the Evangelion family. Again, found on the website at evangelion.co.nz. However, in this podcast, we do uh, pick the minds of all Catholic enthusiasts to try and get to the bottom of how to live contemporary uh, in this contemporary world as a Catholic. My name is Dominic Malgeri, and in this episode, we have the one, the only, Ke- Kelly Seeley. How's it going? It's going well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for taking your time. Uh, where in the world are you from right now? Well, I am from New York, um, but right now I'm living in a tiny little town called Bloomington, Illinois. Bloomington, Illinois. Is that Detroit? Uh, no, but it's, it's the Midwest. Okay. I just south think... of Chicago. I'm like a couple hours south of Chicago. Oh, okay. Chicago. Cool. I'm still learning all the different states. Um, my family uh, are actually in the States. They've got some in Michigan, Florida, and I think like Tennessee or something. Cool. So they're everywhere. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so Chicago, that's a really cool town. you got got uh, the Bulls and Chicago Town Pizza, right? Mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> that's the two <laughs> things that uh, I know about Chicago. Um, I, want, I want to go there and try the pizza. Is, is, is it good? It is very good, yes. It's not the same as New York pizza. I miss the New York pizza, but it's pretty good. Okay, it looks like I'm going to have to do a tour of pizza around the whole of the States. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so uh, Kelly, you are a uh, full-time mom? Full-time. Full-time mom, and how many kids do you have? We have seven. We just had our seventh. She just turned one. Uh, your seventh just turned one. Oh, cool. So I've got two kids. I've got a two-year-old and a nine-month-old. And that's crazy enough, but it's seven just turning one. And it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. How's, how's your sleep? All seven just turn one. The oldest is 14. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All seven turning one. That, that would, that would be a hell of a, hell of a pregnancy. Um, so, um, you're, you're, uh, you, I know you because of your, your blogging. Um, but what mm-hmm. else have you done? You've been to New Zealand before, haven't you? Mm-hmm. We, we lived for two years in New Zealand as missionaries. Okay. Um, we came with a three-year-old and a one-year-old. We had a little boy while we were there and came home and had another boy just a couple months later. So we right. doubled our family in New Zealand. Um, so whilst you were traveling, you were still keeping the family growing. I mean, because that well, initially we when you said... Traveling. Pardon? We weren't traveling. We were just, um, we were stationary in New Zealand um, right. as missionaries. Oh, yeah. So I suppose because the idea when I hear the word missionary, I'm like, okay, probably in your teens, go to a different country, <laughs> you know, and you did it with three children and then had a fourth of it? Or... Yes, which um, when when we were first invited to come, we thought, well, we can't do this now. We've got, we've got two kids. We own a house. We've got mm. pets. We've got responsibilities, you know. Um, but we prayed about it and we really felt that we were being called to do it. So 
we packed up and we we went there and we were there for two years and um loved New Zealand. I mean, yeah. just we we talk all the time about going back. It's so beautiful. I just showed the kids some shells I had picked up uh, at the bottom of the mount in Mount Manganui. Oh, just wow. was just went to a couple of days ago. Yeah. And a shout out to Mount Manganui there. Um, <laughs> well, this I mean, this brings up a whole other topic. We're going to talk to you about homeschooling, but I guess the concept of family is missionary because I know um, when I came to New Zealand, I came here and got married and then I started working and I was working in a, as a Catholic chaplain at the time. And like the, the, no one ever said this explicitly to me, but the kind of feel was, Oh, you're married now. You should probably stop doing ministry work and focus on your family. Um, and like there is, a, I feel like there is a real vibe of kind of, um, yeah, you, you can't, you can't do, you can't be a minister and have children mm-hmm. or, you know, and be married. Cause you know, uh, that doesn't work. But, Logically, you know, if we follow the gospel, there's only there's, that's the only reason, the only thing you can do. You can only be a missionary. So, how how does that work in a family? Um, so it was it was definitely tricky. You know, um, my husband did the bulk of the ministry, um, but I did quite a bit myself. And sometimes I did the. We were doing youth ministry mostly, mm-hmm. um, so I did a lot of stuff for the young girls of the parish, kind of in my home with my baby and my toddler, mm. one on either side. Um, or after they went to bed at night, the kids would come over. Um, so yeah, we made it work. The, the, our girls went on retreats with the youth. They they did it all. You know, they set free. We were involved in set free, and oh, yeah. kids just came with us to set free. And um, so yeah, it, it worked. It was tricky. It was definitely tricky, um, but it it worked. And then when we got got back to the states, um, my husband continued doing ministry. But by the time I had four and five kids, um, I just found it a lot harder to, to have time to prepare. Right, you know, to yeah. prepare a talk or to write something or to just to make the time was hard. Um, my, my seven kids are home all the time with me because I'm homeschooling. So there aren't chunks of free time in my life. Mm. So ministry becomes hard when you don't have time to prepare. They can come with me to the events, but I also need time on my own to prepare what I'm going to do once I get there. And yeah, yeah. that's a little hard to come by. But I guess even doing it with like a three and four, like you, you had three and four children when you, when you came here, like doing it with more than one child, I can imagine is still quite a struggle. And especially yeah. from the perspective of the mom, because, um, you know, my, my wife is, you know, ha- having had two children, uh, she's, she's always talking about like baby brain, how she's always just forgetting <laughs> every single things. And I imagine if you're, if you're trying to write a talk and a presentation, it's like, that's got to get in the way. That's got to be a real drag. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. It is yeah. hard. But if the Lord's calling us to do it, um, you know, he provides enough, like three or four functioning brain cells and you can slap something together if you need to. Yeah, okay. I get I get that because, you know, again, my, my time in ministry at the chaplaincy, it's like I feel like whenever I run like a Bible study or give a talk that I wrote myself without going to adoration or doing prayer around it, it was very dry, very flat. But mm-hmm. whenever I went to adoration, you know, I was saying things that I didn't know I knew, you know? And yeah, you know, gift from God. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. So I, I want, I was, um, so have you been a Catholic your whole life, or was that something that you found later in life? Both. Um, so I grew up in a Catholic family. We went to mass most Sundays. Went to Catholic schools, but we didn't talk about faith really at home. Um, and by the time I went off to uni, I was pretty much ready. I had a foot out the door. Um, okay. And then at around age 20, 21, uh, went through some hard, you know, typical hard drama in your 20s and mm-hmm. um, 
walked into a Catholic church on a Tuesday, let's say, to just quietly pray, and there was mass going on. And here I was, had gone to Catholic school my whole life. I didn't know there was such a thing as daily mass. I was like, why? Why are they saying mass? It's Tuesday. Um, I, I resented it. I was like, I came here for some quiet. Um, but I stayed and just fell in love with the mass. Like I, everything in my life is changing. And uh, the mass was the same as it had always mm. been. And it was a rock. And over the next couple of months, I started going on purpose to daily mass. And uh, just from there, that was in my early 20s. I'm in my early 40s now. So for the past 20 years, just kind of making up for lost time, trying to learn. Went to Franciscan mm -hmm. um, University in Steubenville uh, to try to learn what I hadn't. Um, and got involved in teaching high school theology, got involved in ministry, and then um, settled down to start homeschooling a big old Catholic family. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, the mass is, is it's, it's one of the things that struck me. Like I converted when I was in my 20s. Um, to Catholicism and like when after becoming Catholic one of the things that really um I loved about it was the fact that it was the same everywhere like um yeah. I had a friend I was talking to I was in Wales when I converted and my friend was back at home and she was like and I was like if you go to mass at 10 o'clock we're practically sat next to each other because we're in yeah. communion in heaven yeah. you know and like the readings are the same the liturgy is the same and I just found that so amazing and that was before I had any like theological knowledge about it it was just like that's just that's just you know logistics it's logistically the same yeah. um so yeah i just that's one thing that i really loved about it so um you had that kind of reversion in your 20s and then you decided to get stuck into it and uh, learn more about the faith um how did that link up with you being uh getting married being a missionary when did that call to missionary life come sure. to you um, so um, I went back to get a master's degree when I was in my mid-20s because of this reversion. And I went to Franciscan and met the man who I'm now married to and also met a priest from New Zealand who was studying there while we were. And we became, the three of us became super close. And he always said, you know, when I get back to New Zealand um, and I get my own parish, I'd love to have you guys come up and be missionaries. And we were young and had no kids and we were like, that would be so much fun. Yeah. You know? And then a couple of years later when he called us and actually asked, <laughs> Oh, that was before children. Like that sounded so much fun. Like five yeah. years ago, we totally can't do that now. So, um, but he was a very dear friend and very persistent and very prayerful. And he just told us, I want you to pray about it. And yeah. so we did a novena and, you know, on like day three, my husband was like, I think we should do this. And I'm like, I'm getting a definite no. And then on day <laughs> I'm like, I think we are called to this, which is like, no, I, I think we're, we're not, you know? And so, but by the end of the novena, we were on the same page. And so mm -hmm. we made the leap. That's so cool seeing that, like, the sermon as a, as a couple. Because, uh, like, one of the things that really struck me as I entered in married life is, like, oh, I can't just do things now. Like, cause I, <laughs> yeah. I, moved, I moved to New Zealand. I left everything behind to pursue my wife. Mm -hmm. And I got married, and I could just do that. There's nothing stopping me. It's like, I, if I want to yeah. do it, I can do it. And then I'm like... Like, because I was on this buzz of moving country at that time, I was like, oh, where am I going next? Am I going to Australia, going to America? What? Because this was obviously pre-COVID. And so, like, I was like, what's happening next? And then I was like, oh, actually, I should probably, probably ask my spouse about this. <laughs> That's yeah. what she wants to do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's it's cool to hear that, that it was a, a bit of to and froing 
because uh, I'm very right. much I'm very much the big ideas guy. Let's run a thousand miles an hour in that direction. And my wife yeah. is very much, you know, let's think about this, you know. And so if she says yes to something, I know it's probably the good idea. Um, yeah. But like when I say yes to something, I, I say yes to everything. So <laughs> I, I need a bit more <laughs> discerning. <laughs> so uh, was that priest, was that uh, Father Geelan, who's now auxiliary bishop yes, of Auckland? Yes, now bishop. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's a good man. He's a really good man. He's a beautiful man. Yeah, we love him. Um, yeah, because he's been on the podcast before, and he's actually been quite a supporter oh. of um, Evangelion in our in our mission. Um, so that. he's a good man. We we we, we like cool. we like Bishop Gillen. Yeah. So you decided. So you decided when you're doing that novena. You did you have kids when you were doing the novena? Yep, we had. Well, we had one, and we were pregnant, and about to have the second. And ironically, we had said to Father Michael, um, you know, if this baby is born and there's any problems with the baby's health, we're not going to come, you know. And he said, that's understandable. Baby was born healthy. When she was 10 months, we moved to New Zealand. So we had two. And then the third one was born in New Zealand and um, received last rites on the same day he was baptized because he was so ill. So um, just kind of funny that the healthy, you know, the one we were worried about her health was fine. And then we got here and had the baby that was not. Um, but yeah, Father Michael gave her him last rites in a hospital in Tauranga. Oh my god! Just a couple hours of baptizing him. So that's so intense. I can't even imagine. Was really, it was hard. Yeah, I feel like that's a whole other podcast in itself, but we won't switch into <laughs> that right now. Um, yeah. So, uh, and you came over here and you did missionary work as a family. Could you talk yes. to me a bit about? being a missionary as a family um because like i said there is definitely this attitude of oh we've got kids now we're not going to be yeah we're not going to be preaching the gospel anymore <laughs> you know? right right um yeah so it was really cool like you know we were able to we lived in the presbytery and so every morning we went to mass as a family together daily mass and um my eldest daughter who was two at the time or three i guess she is very extroverted and really had a strong faith and so she would just she loved talking to all the old ladies at daily mass and everything and and then we sent her to a kindy um a little montessori kindy that was across the street from us and she would she would evangelize her teachers at the she had one teacher was a beautiful woman she said um you know maria said to me why don't you go to you could come to our church with us you could come to our church with us she tried every day to get this woman to come to church with her and um, the woman finally said to me, you know, I think I am going to go back to church. I don't know why I ever stopped going, you know, this. So so that just became part of my kids' identity, too. It's like, we're missionaries, we're his missionaries. And they were very comfortable with that as part of their identity. And um, I think that for some youth who came to our events, having a little bunch of little kids there made it a little less threatening. You know, some some That's kids, my, like I said, my eldest is very extroverted. So she would uh, ferret out anyone who was kind of on their own or whatever and draw them in. And um, the little one was a very shy, sweet toddler. So she attracted a different kind of kind of shyer student. So we actually found that it kind of was like a little, um, like a little carrot for some, for some kids to come. It was these cute little kids with crazy American accents that come to all this stuff. So it was kind of an appeal for some of the kids, but the kids did great with it. They really did very well with it. And mm. the youth group provided um, some babysitting for me if I really had to do something without the kids. So yeah. uh, it just all meshed together really well. That's really good. I think, and I think like it really speaks to the, the role of community in like family life and like as a parish. Um, because I think, you know, 
the, the world now is quite is quite individual individualistic like you sort out mm-hmm. you and you have to revolve on you and because i remember like as we were getting pregnant and people, like lots of people saying oh man it's expensive having kids it's really expensive yeah. and i don't think we've really we like we'd really spend any money in the first year and a half um yeah. because everyone wanted to get rid of their stuff and so <laughs> the second um my wife is she was in a parish in Pukekohe that's where she grew up uh, from when she was 10 and so everyone knew her from that parish and so the second they found out she was pregnant her mum's garage got filled with uh, baby clothes from the whole parish <laughs> and so I was like okay now we have to go through these wash them choose what we want and stuff and so we didn't we didn't need like things like that for a long time and then even like with dawn of social media there's these like um local groups like mama's groups is like hey i'm getting rid of this cop i'm not having any more kids anybody wants it i just need to get rid of it because yeah. like there's all this really cool stuff for kids which is cool yeah. when you have them but then they outgrow it and now it's just taking up space exactly yeah uh, so yeah i think and i really really think that's a cool perspective of involving your kids in ministry because i think there is that attitude of like oh they won't they won't get anything out of it oh they'll get in the way but they actually yeah. become an you know, like an evangelist. Uh, right. That's an amazing story right. about your, your kid at the Montessori place. Yeah. I don't want to oversimplify it either because it was challenging, you know, yes. and I did constantly feel like, am I not doing my share of the ministry? Am I not giving my children the right share of what they need? There was always mm. a lot of, ah, but looking back now, I can say it was, it was fine. Like the kids yeah. were fine. It was all, it was all fine, you know, mm. um, but it, it can be hard when you're, when you're doing it. You never feel like you're enough you know, for all the needs that you see around you. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Do, do you um, do you have any tips about that? Like if you are going to be going into ministry as a family, if you listen to this podcast, you're like, actually, you know what? I'm getting more involved in my parish. It's like, yeah. okay, what's the balance? What What is the too much and what's not yeah. not enough? Um, I mean, that's hard because I think that varies from person to person. But my personal uh, rule for myself is right now, there's like seasons of your life. And so when I was single and when we didn't have kids or when our family was still very small, um, that was a season where I could give a lot more of myself. And right now I see that my vocation is to raise my children. Um, And so I'm in a season of life right now where I've got seven kids and I've got lots of real little ones and I don't have a lot of time to give. And so I give what I can, but I don't, uh, I, I'm cognizant of the fact that my kids have first priority to my time mm. and that a season will come where, you know, they'll all be seven and eight and older and I'll have more time again to be more invested in parish ministry and missionary work and whatnot, but um, it's seasons. And so right now it's a season of really hunkered down in the home for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if, if, you know, so much of ministry is because people miss some kind of formation, you know? And so for me, I see my job right now, what God is primarily calling me to do is to raise my kids well, mm. and then and then I'll have, have more time later on. And I had more time before, but right now this is a, and for me, it's particularly long season because I have seven kids, but for a lot of people, that's a much shorter bit yeah. of time before the kids are school or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's lots uh, lots in there, lots of questions from that. Like, cause, um, I, I suppose, like, I get that season thing, because at the moment, like, like I said, I'm finishing off my degree, I'm starting my career, and for my, my 
personally, I'm like, man, I'm missing out on this family stuff. I should be there supporting my wife. I should be with the kids. But it's like, now nah, this is just this is just the next few months until the degrees finish, and then when I get a job, it'll be a couple months to get settled, and then it'll be right. I I can see how shift rule works. I can see how the family life will fit into that. Um, but yeah, so I think that's that seasonal thing is a good thing to have in mind. But like, it's so hard to bear in mind when you're in the moment. Yes. Um, yeah. Do you have any tips to uh, to keep? How do you keep that in mind whilst you're uh, suffering it? Um, well, so it's like that balance because I guess sometimes I feel guilty. Like you know, you just read the newspaper and you see everything in the world and you think I should be I should be doing more to solve all the problems of the world. You know, and yeah. Um, and so you know, on the one hand, I remind myself, well, right now, what I am doing to serve the world is raising up the best possible kids that I can. Mm. But on the other hand, you know, you don't want to keep kicking the can down the road. And um, I always tease my husband because his favorite saying is he's just got to get through, like, he just got to get through this week, and then next week will be easier. You've got, you know, and so I kind of tease him about that, you know, because like, you could live your whole life just getting through and thinking later, I'll spend time with the kids or later I'll do the ministry or later I'll get to this. And there's always going to be a lot going on. So I think the best way to kind of keep that in balance is, you know, make sure that every day there's time that is spent, you know, just wasting time with your family. Your family is first before everything else. And so we have to be able to just waste time with our family. And um, even if that's just a half an hour, that's totally guarded that like the bedtime story, right. you know, bedtime begins or, um, 20 minutes sitting on the back porch with your wife, just looking at the stars and just chatting, catch up with the day. Yeah. Um, and you can combine it. Like my husband and I tend to go for a walk every day together. So that's like some exercise yeah. and some spouse time just built in together there. Um, because life is busy and there's always something else that comes up and crops up and, Oh, I forgot about this and this popped up. And so, um, yeah, you, I guess I, I'm always cautious about just thinking, oh, once I get through this, then I'll have time for the kids, then I'll have time for my marriage, then I'll have time for uh, <laughs> prayer, you know, and, and yeah. God, and I'll one day I'll get back to adoration, you know, it's just like, mm -hmm. well, just go to 10 minutes of adoration, you know, yeah. like once, you know, just kind of getting little bits in there while we can. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I suppose something to bear in mind, just going off what you just said, is like remembering that god has called us to something and that thing is mm -hmm. probably what we're doing right now and so like you know if god has called me to do this to become a nurse to do this job this degree and be a parent it's like okay well just do those things you know because yes. we can always see more things that we can be doing but like right now just right. finish assignments fill out the cv and post it and let god do the rest you know yeah. um because you know there is that inclination to try and do everything that needs to be done be everyone to everything every everything to everybody but um god has only called us to be you know to be kelly to be dominic to be whoever's listening he's like you only you can only you know inhabit a finite space mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so like inhabit that and be there um i think it's pretty important but also like i love that what you were saying about waste time with your family it's just it's <laughs> like every so often i just catch myself like sat with my toddler thinking about assignment and I'm like, wait a second, I'm not on my computer. I can't do my assignment right now. Yeah. And then I look yes. down and she's found a really interesting rock and she's talking yes. about it. And I'm like, yeah. tell me about this rock. <laughs> you know? So many times we're just up in our heads thinking all of our adult things. And then this earnest little face is just 
repeating the same comment over and over and we're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to just suddenly be present and just look at that little face and just like be totally present in that moment. Yeah. Um, a lot of times at the end of the day, I like to write down kind of what were my best blessings this day, you know, like a little gratitude journal and almost, I, almost every day, it's usually something where I stopped and gave my full attention to a kid for just a few seconds. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that they, the funny thing that they said, or the sweet little expression on their face or the tender little effect, you know, whatever it is, it, yeah. it's like, those are the moments that matter each day. Yeah. And we're just adults. We're just always up in our heads. It's all of our busy little things that we've got going on. And yeah. we just need to be present the way that little kids are just so present to the present yeah. moment. And I think you can get so much more happiness out of life uh, doing that. And yes. so just being, yes. okay, this is all I can, this is all I can influence right now. Like yes. one of my favorite memories of my, my daughter is I was doing story time with her and like before bed. And um, I'm a, I, I closed my eyes for a second and it must've been longer than a second because I opened <laughs> my eyes and the book had changed. And then my, my daughter looked at me and was like, no, you rest, you rest. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> no, but it's, it's your bedtime. Let's read some stories together. Like, no, it's okay, daddy, you rest. I'm like, that's very sweet. I'm supposed to be the parent here. Come on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, I like the idea and like uh, of encourage, like helping your kids be evangelists by living that life. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we do that without? you know, imposing on our children? How do we do it without, without um, like, you know, making them uncomfortable? Like, because obviously for you, for you guys, it kind of came kind of naturally. He's like, oh, this is what we're doing and your kids were there. It's like, how do we raise our children as evangelists? Yeah, I think sometimes, so for us, we actually have the opposite problem where I never put this on the kid to do this. In fact, it would sometimes be quite awkward. Like, um, I remember once being at Bay Wave Pool in Mount Monganui with her, and she was swimming over asking people, do you go to church? And then she was swimming back to report to me who wasn't going to church. And I, <laughs> like, like, I am not putting my child up to this. Like, this is not what we So we always feel like we're kind of like reining her in a bit, you know, like, oh, we're in. You know? <laughs> Oh goodness. Um, we were trying to teach your tact and you know, all this kind of stuff. So, but I think, I think, you know, before Jesus sends out anybody, any of his disciples, he forms them first. So before I would even worry about whether or not my kid was evangelizing others, like a four-year-old or a six-year-old, like that's not really on them to be evangelizing. Like mm. it's that their season to just be, be being formed. And so for the little ones, um, I just, I'm focusing on forming them. And then some kids have a personality where they really internalize that and they really want to share just like they'd be excited about a Disney princess or mm. whatever else. Mm. And so that's just naturally what they're kind of fired up about. Um, but I would never put that on a kid. Like you're five, it's time for you to start evangelizing now. You know, I think, um, for a little one, we're just forming them. We're catechizing them. We're showing them the beauties of the faith. We're praying with them. Um, we're talking to them about the things of the faith that we're excited about. Mm -hmm. And some of them really internalize that. And they, they, then that's kind of what their chatter is. And that's what they want to reach out to people for. But I have other kids that would never, ever do that in their life. And that's okay when they get to a certain age, then, you know, you hope that that sort of comes along, but, um, our Lord and all the saints who had orders first, they form, mm. um, their followers before they send them out. And, um, I do, I've talked to parents who say like, Oh, my kid has to go out there in the world and they have to, you know, evangelize their friends. And, um, I, 
I respect that that desire, but I worry that when you're that young and still so unformed yourself, sometimes what happens is you'll be formed by the world as opposed mm. to helping form the world, you know? Because I, I know as an adult sometimes, you know, when you're in an environment that's very anti-Christian or whatever, it can be hard to influence that instead of being influenced by it. Yeah. And so how much more true is that for a seven-year-old or a four-year-old or a nine-year-old? Yeah, and it really fits in with like a few things that I've heard in other episodes um, that I've done where people talk about like, first we need to um, work on ourselves before we bring it out to anybody else. And I suppose yeah. that's, that's exactly the same with kids. It's like, you know, before you start writing a book, you first need to learn how to write. You first need to yes. learn how to hold a pen. Uh, and so let's yeah. let's not dive too deeply. And like, you can have these amazing like stories where like one of your kids is, is asking people if they go to church and inviting their teachers to church with them. And that's an amazing story. But I guess also, and, uh, you'll probably know this more than, understand this more than I do, is like each kid, each child has their own, kind of yes. personality own way of doing things and i think also like often we look at the saints and we're like okay that's how everyone should be a catholic and it's like no 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 right. that's how that person should have been a catholic you are not that person right. and um so you need to express your faith in a different way yes um how how do you how do you come to understand your ch children's different like temperaments and stuff and like what are ways that you've been able to um help them grow in that area um, so there's a book, The Temperament God Gave You, um, the author escapes me at the moment, but mm -hmm. they, they have one, The Temperament God Gave Your Spouse, The Temperament God Gave Your Child, et cetera, et cetera. I think if you just read The Temperament God Gave You, you're good, because it kind of gives you a sense of those four temperaments. And um, I find some kids, it's really obvious, and some of my kids, I still not, I'm not really sure what their temperament is. Mm -hmm. um, but aside from like really the scientific temperament term, not that that's scientific, but um, just kind of getting a sense that this child is shy and introverted and, um, you know, needs to be dealt with a little bit more gently. I have, I mean, my second child, I don't think I've ever yelled at her in my life. If I just frowned at her since she was two, she'd burst into tears and stop doing whatever. And, um, and then I have four boys in a row that I could frown and they would just think something's wrong with her eyebrows. I don't know what's going on with that, you know? <laughs> Not a clue that it had anything to do with their behavior, you know. So, you know, I I think that um, I'm as gentle with each child as their temperament permits, you know. And some need a much my boys need a much firmer hand than my girls ever did. Um, okay. and I don't know if that's coincidence or gender, but um, right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, just kind of getting to know the individual kid and and not putting them in a box because also sometimes things change or this the situ based on the situation they're with changes. You know, one of my sons is very shy in public. But at home is just the life of the party. And um, another one at home is always in trouble. But in public is every coach and teacher. I mean, he's everybody's favorite. It's out in the public. He's so polite and well-behaved. And at home is constantly in trouble. So in different situations, kids can behave very differently. So I don't like to put them in like a box like you are this. Mm. But I just try to get to know like in this context, this child might act this way and to be sensitive to that and aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and I guess this fits into, you know, the topic, which we've, we've it's taken a long time to get to it, but there's been so much <laughs> to talk about is this homeschooling It's like, so it seems to me that like homeschooling is the Catholic parent thing to do. Um, it's kind of like when it, it's not really talked about too much, but whenever it's, whenever schooling comes up, it's kind of like, well, you're not going to send them to public school. Are you? Right. you have to, if you, you know, it's probably best to keep them home. And there's lots of stresses around that and there's lots of, yeah. you know, 
angst around that. But uh, can you just outline for us, you know, what what is what is homeschooling? Uh, yeah. what, what is it for you? How did you find it? You know. Um, so, okay, that's a lot. So how we found it was um, in the state. So in New Zealand, I know that the Catholic schools are free, right? They're funded by the government. But in the states, Catholic schools are really expensive. And so um, my husband was doing ministry. And so when we started having kids, we did not feel we'd ever be able to afford Catholic schools. And the public schools often by us have lots of drugs, lots of violence, guns. I mean, I'm sure you that's all over the world. They know mm. how the American schools, there's violence in American schools a lot. Um, and just the, the culture of death in general, that's kind of counter to everything we're trying to do with our kids. Um, so, but really more than any of that, it really wasn't for me, homeschooling wasn't a no to what's out there. It was just a yes to us being together. You know, um, when we were in New Zealand, my eldest, we sent her to a little Montessori kindy and she um, never really, it was a beautiful school. I loved it. I would have sent all my kids there, but the cry of her heart was always that she wanted to just be home with me right. and she was three, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, she's three or four. And if she wants to be home, like maybe she should be, you know, right. four is awfully little to be kicked Sent out of the nest. The yeah. And so, um, so it was while we were living there, um, she kept asking if she could just stay home with me, stay home with me. And, and she's really extroverted for her. It wasn't that she didn't like, um, you know, being out with other people, but she really consistently would wanted to be home with me. And so we started just doing like, uh, you know, reading intentionally, like let's read in addition to good night moon, let's read a little book about penguins like a non-fiction like a little you know and just mm -hmm. kind of trying to bring some uh deliberate educating into some of our reading out loud time or if we were drawing maybe we'd also practice our abcs or whatever i mean stuff that probably every parent does mm -hmm. um and and then we just said well we'll just give it a try we'll give it a try and we'll just see and so for the first couple of years i homeschooled it was like we're just trying this this might not work they might end up going to school but um I just that when they're so little, it was just hard for me to to force them out of the nest. And I, I just sensed that they needed to be home in their own home with their own parents. Um, my husband wasn't quite sure at first about homeschooling, too. He thought, oh, they're going to come out real weird. You know, I think that's a common fear with homeschooling is these can have these really awkward kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can I mean, I, I taught in in high schools for a number of years and there's weird kids at school. too. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's weird kids everywhere, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so. Uh, so, yeah, for me, homeschooling is not doing school at home. I taught. Uh, high school for a number of years. And um, what I do with my kids at home is very different than what I did as a teacher in a setting with 30 kids ahead, ahead in front of me. You know, it's mm -hmm. um, it takes a lot less time each day. It's much more tailored toward the individual child. Like I might have a kid who is a fantastic reader and really struggles in math. And so we're doing fifth grade math and third grade reading. Um, you know, you can kind of really work with each kid. At, I know for me, when I was in school, math was hard for me. And so my classmates would get so far ahead of me and it just, it's like a negative spiral because mm. if you don't learn the three times table, the teacher moves on to the four times table and I'm still kind yes. of lingering in the three times table and I just get farther and farther behind. So I like that with homeschooling, you can kind of stick with each kid's abilities and they don't have a feeling of everybody's ahead of me and I'm the dumbest kid or conversely, like a inflated ego, like I'm just the best at everything. You can challenge a kid who's doing well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's not school at home. Um, it's education in the home, but not what we would think typically of what a school looks like. Yeah, because I do like having looked into a bit. There is that there is that dichotomy of like what's the difference between school and education because they don't always fit the same. Like I mean, myself, I'm I've got dyslexia and ADHD, so the academic setting is not where I thrive. Um, yet again, this is the second degree I'm doing for some reason. Um, and it's, you know, it's a real struggle and I, 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 I managed to make it through it, but it's not a pleasant experience and how much I learn is a different story to how much, you know, content I consume, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, I think there are a lot of benefits just on a, like, I guess, on a, uh, pedagogy kind of sense, like when it comes to actually teaching and the kids actually learning, you can actually teach them things and they can actually learn. Yeah because a you're their mum so you know them and b yes. they get that one-on-one time which is something i like from friends that are teachers they you know they've talked about it. it's like yeah you got 30 kids you, can't, you just can't you just can't do it you can't. would you say that your time as a teacher prepared you for this because i know that like i mean oh. <laughs> i'm not a teacher you didn't oh, did, it is not no. <laughs> I, I mean i taught high school students so i was teaching kids who were 14 15 16 17 and teaching a five-year-old to read is a completely different experience. And so um, the patience that's required to uh, listen to a child sounding out, you know, early Mm. books over and over, there's nothing in educating teenagers that prepared me for that. Um, And then also educating in a school system is a lot about making lesson plans, writing up tests, um, you know, behavior, managing behavior of all different sorts, while also keeping a good rapport with the students and with your own kids um it's it's not that way mm. um so yeah i wouldn't say i had an advantage in learning to homeschool because i maybe i had more confidence going into it um than some parents might but it didn't actually give me any advantage <laughs> so did you find that um some of that confidence was challenged quite quickly because like you said it's a very oh, good yeah. teaching <laughs> yeah and so you thought yes. i've been the teacher i could do this and you're like oh no 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 yes. Yes, I when when I was teaching my oldest to read, I, after a couple of weeks, I just thought I can't do this. This is too hard. Right, and so okay. I, I was on Facebook at the time. And so I put a note on our homeschooling Facebook page saying like, can I hire somebody to teach this kid how to write? Is there any like retired teacher out there that would come and teach her? And um, one of the moms reached out to me and said, well, what's going on here? Like anybody can teach a child how to read. And um, so I told her what I was doing. And Basically, I was trying to go too fast. It's like, okay, you've mastered cat. Now let's move to apple, you know? And she yeah. told me, you gotta let them linger on cat for a while. You know, you've gotta wait until cat is just easy and enjoyable, and then you can go into like kind of the next level. And yeah. so basically she told me, you got you gotta slow down. Oh, and um, so she pulled the reins in a bit on me. And uh, since then I've taught a number of my own children to read easily and without a lot of frustration. So there's a learning curve to how this has to be done. So like, would you say like I mean, you obviously did you come up with many um, bumps in the road like that, and like how did you deal with those bumps in the road? Was it just community? Yeah, having a community around is incredibly helpful because you're going to have more experienced moms who have been through it. So that definitely has been helpful. But even if you don't have community, it's I mean, there's so many blogs and websites and books. Um, I had one book here that I this has been like a huge help to me. It's called Teaching from Rest. Um, by Sarah McKenzie, and it's really skinny, 
and it's just a light little read but like it's so simple and she just um really troubleshoots a lot of the most common bumps that you could hit i would say for most moms that i know who homeschool the challenge isn't actually what you're teaching or how you're teaching it the challenge is um what to do with little kids while you're teaching the bigger ones you know um ah. the, yeah the baby that's dumping out all the cereal while you're teaching spelling and the toddler that's having a tantrum i mean that that's the hard stuff is mm. like trying to teach it's like imagine a teacher standing in a classroom trying to teach holding a baby in one hand and having a toddler having a tantrum on her leg you know mm. like that's the stuff that homeschool mothers are kind of find the hardest challenge i'd say yeah. um but then you can have kids who either have a learning block with something or an attitude like why do i have to do this you know here i am home in my pajamas uh with my legos all right there i don't really want to do a page of math right now yeah. um and in a school setting it's like well you're not going to start crying about it in front of the other eight-year-olds in the class and if the teacher you know you're kind of going to do what the teacher says because it's not your mom yeah but you might get a little more pushback when it's your own kids yeah. so i would say it's not the educating the educating that um is probably going to be the biggest challenges for new homeschooling moms it's going to be kind of the dynamics of doing this in the home in a family setting with little siblings around that's going to be probably what's more challenging probably it's different for each person i see i see that's really cool so um there's lots of things i think it's because because school has been the norm for so long now um there's lots of things that i guess people think that uh school does or like prepares them for like i mean obviously the thing the most common thing is social interaction like mm -hmm. how do you deal with that like i mean i guess maybe in a household with uh, you know six other siblings there is a bit more social interaction but how do you get them outside of that um yeah. and how do you how do they develop socially yeah so first of all what i've noticed as a teacher is that um most of my children that i taught in school most of my students I would say had similar level of social skills to their parents. So I think that we actually learn a lot of our social skills from our parents mm. rather than from our parents. Um, if I had a kid at school who uh, had a belligerent personality, sometimes mom had a belligerent personality. You know, I mean, sometimes those things kind of go together. Not always, but so, so I think that a lot of children are learning social skills from their parents more so than from their peers. So that, that's just one observation that I've made in my life. Um, but also we've done a lot of um, co-ops with our kids. So homeschooling moms tend to want to have their kids hang out with other homeschooling kids. So um, most of my kids before COVID, before COVID, we would have a co-op that would meet once a week and um, it could just be for a couple hours. Maybe they would take a class in science. If we had a mom who was really good at science, she'd dissect a frog with them yeah. or what I mean, the kind of stuff that I'm not going to do on my kitchen table at home, you know, yeah. um, public speaking class. We do a public speaking class with the kids, even if they're just six, just show and tell, just, just so they have that experience of standing up in front of my peers yeah. and everyone's looking at me and I have to talk and say something. Um, so just kind of getting them used to that kind of experience yeah. that kids get in school. Um, or we do like a PE class with all the kids together. So yeah, we try to just get them together once a week for a couple hours and uh, do a couple of classes, you know, that, that would kind of let them experience a little bit of what it's like to be in a school setting. 
Um, but also they could do um, sports through sports. Mm, they have yeah. a coach and they have lots of interactions with other kids and feedback. You know, if you miss the goal, you're going to get some social feedback from your yeah. from your teammates, you know, um, and learning to deal with that. Dealing, you know, that's that's all good for social relatives, cousins, grandma, mm. grandpa, neighbors. Um, and again, like if you live in a place where there's I, we do where I, where I live now, there's a ton of homeschoolers. So. Um, there's lots of homeschool activities. You know, if I if I wanted my kid to take a a homeschool writing class, I could find that in town. Um, there's 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 a lot of homeschoolers. So there's a lot of our local um, ba ballet studio has a homeschool ballet hour. I mean, there's there's so many homeschoolers in town that there's a lot of social opportunities Very for cool. kids. So yeah, so what I'm getting is like I think this is something that's quite natural to us. It's like when we think, oh, I'm going to do something, it's like I'm gonna have to do this on my own. Like I saying, when uh, when we found out we were pregnant, everyone's like, "This is gonna be expensive. It's gonna cost a lot of money." Yeah. And the second we told the parish, we didn't have to spend any money. And I suppose yeah. when it comes to homeschooling, it's like, "Okay, I'm gonna have to do this on my own. I'm not good at maths. How I'm gonna do that?" It's about right. opening your eyes, looking up, and actually, there's people around me and uh, getting yes. them involved with it. Um, yes. And so, yeah, you it, and also like it kind of brings me back to like what I imagine like an older way of living was where everything was communal. Like, yes. you know, um, you, you, you know, your kids would go into each other's houses and they'd be part of a village community and they'd all learn together that way. And so yeah. you do interact. Um, but yeah, I guess cause schools just become so normalized um, that you, you, you think anything else would just be weird. Right. Um, yeah. So how can like, so do you, would you say that's how like um, a homeschooling situation can prepare them for like higher education, uh, mm -hmm. going to college, work situations? How 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 can you do that? Because like like in 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 school you've you've got uh, different things that just happen naturally, like dealing with a management kind of thing with your teachers and dealing with um, like again like say other people and different scenarios like how does homeschooling yeah. prepare people for the rest of their lives um well okay so i would say like when we did our co-ops um when i would teach in the co-op sometimes you know kids would be naughty and i'd take them out in the hall and you know mm -hmm. have a little chat with them and so they did get that experience um but my eldest daughter who's 14 now she just started at a regular high school um we found a high school that we we're really happy with so she just started there a couple I guess a month ago and she's doing great. So it was very seamless for her to enter into that. And I think that was partly because of, you know, she, we always had lots of um, kids over our house. She'd go over to other kids' house. She was on sports and in clubs and we did co-ops. And I don't really think that she missed much of what would have been preparatory in a mm -hmm. school setting. Um, having a job, you know, just like little jobs that she's had for neighbors, maybe walking their dogs or whatever. Um, she was on a swim team with coaches. I mean, I think that kind of all those experiences, uh, and again, I just think a lot of that is parenting too, you know, like how the parent disciplines a child and are there consequences, you know, when, when kids misbehave and they won't do their math or they won't do their chores. My kids all have lots of chores that they do each day. I mean, when I say lots, like they have every day they have dishwashers to unload and laundry to fold and garbage to take out. And if they don't do the chores, there's a consequence. So that's like real life. You know, like if you don't show up to work, there's a consequence. If you don't study for your test at uni, there's a consequence. And so um, I'm not talking about beatings. I just mean like you've lost your screen time 
or you can't have your snack until that work's done. So, you know, you will get that when the work is completed, just like you will get your paycheck right. when you have showed up to work for seven consecutive days or whatever. So I think, yeah, just part of that is parenting too, and just making sure that because they're home, they're not sheltered from, um, you know, having responsibilities and having consequences and learning all those skills that you'll need to thrive in the outside world. Yeah. And do you find like, you know, because obviously your children aren't, even when it's homeschooling, it's not like doors, windows locked, you're staying in the house. Like you say, you, you once a week you go to like a, well, before COVID, you'd meet up with a homeschooling community, go and do sports and music recitals and whatever. Do you find that uh, gives them enough exposure to deal with things like peer pressure and uh, such like? Um, yeah, I do think, I do think it does. Um, and again, that's going to vary from kid to kid. So I can really only speak for my oldest kids who have so far, I've seen examples of that in their life. But um, I remember that, you know, just last two, two summers ago before COVID, my daughter was on a swim team and um, I guess a bunch of the girls on the swim team who all went to school and were really cool. And I knew she really wanted to be a part of their group, um, but they were making fun of a, a lifeguard. There was a lifeguard there, a, a boy lifeguard and, and, there was something about his body that they found funny and they were making fun of him loud enough for him to hear. And my daughter said to them, that's really unkind. You guys should stop. And they kind of mocked her a little bit and moved away, but they did stop. And a neighbor happened to be standing. I didn't hear any of this. A neighbor happened to be standing nearby and she came and told me that this had happened. And so I was really proud because I wouldn't have even known that to happen, but she had stood up to her peers and in it, she wasn't prissy about it. She just said, you know, like, mm. that's really funny we should stop that and um so yeah so i i have seen evidence of of my older kids who have had enough formation themselves being able to stand up to peer pressure and to to not get involved in things that are bad or to even in a gentle and appropriate way not in a obnoxious prissy way yeah. stand up to their peers and say you know that's that's not a desirable behavior um but again i mean those are my two girls my my oldest boy is only just 10 and I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen him in that situation. Right, COVID has yeah. shut down his life for the past two years, essentially. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he was supposed to go to an event today and he didn't want to go. And he's kind of been like that ever since COVID started. It's like he was already introverted to begin with. Right. And COVID took away every activity he had for a year and a half. And he's having a hard time getting back into it. But the brother underneath him, who's really extroverted, you know, cries if there's a party and he can't go to it now. So, um, you know, that's child to child. It's so different. So, mm. but I haven't, those are not old enough yet. And because of COVID, I haven't gotten to see yet. Yeah. Um, how do they handle situations like that? I just, I don't have the experience yet. Yeah, I suppose it comes back to that question we were talking about earlier about um, making them evangelists. It's like, you got to form them. And I suppose bearing in mind that you, you are forming them so that, when they are presented by something which is contrary to what they've been formed in, like by you as a family, it's like, actually that's wrong. So like in, in a sense, it kind of, it makes them better at those interactions because rather than saying, oh, these girls are all talking about this guy, that's obviously the normal thing to do, I'll do that. It's like, actually, that's not the right thing to do. And so right. I guess it kind of, you know, benefits them in that way. Yeah. But, um, so more on the homeschooling is that what does a, because you said earlier, it takes less time to do the teaching yeah. so what does a what does a day how do you how do you structure a a kind of like a, a day of, of uh, homeschool yeah so that, for me that depends on the kid my real little ones like usually once they're like five 
mm -hmm. um, will start a little formal schooling. And when they're five, to me, it's like, do you want to do this today? And usually when they're five, they see all the older kids doing it. And so, yes, I want to do this. I want to yeah. be just like them, you know? So they usually happily, you know, do whatever. But for them, it's like 10 minutes, like a little bit of reading, learning how to read, a little bit of learning how to write, a little bit of math, and then we'll just read later, you know? So it's very gentle when they're little. Usually once they're about six or seven, it's kind of required each day that you need to do some work. Mm -hmm. And it just, um, every year that you get older, it's like a little bit more. So maybe when you're seven, it's like a half an hour of work a day. When you're eight, it might be an hour, you know, it just kind of goes up gently. So for most of my kids, get up, have breakfast, maybe um, go outside and play even a little bit, get a little energy out just for a little bit, go for a run around the block or something, get some exercise mm. and then they come in and I have what I call table work so that's going to be like your math um, some handwriting um, maybe some language arts grammar kind of stuff um, so that's kind of table work in a textbook um, you got to fill it out and then I've got to look it over and make sure you did it right um, and then we then we take a little break and we do what I call Lego listening which just means that I'm going to teach you all together um, but you can do Legos or draw or play with clay or something. Your, your hands can be occupied, but your mouth has to be quiet and you need to be listening. And so that's when I'll read like history, science, um, catechesis. We do mm. read some children's scripture, some children's catechism, life of a saint. Um, or I'll read out loud. I do a lot of reading historical fiction. So if we're studying uh, the French Revolution, we'll try to read a children's novel that's set during the French Revolution, you know? And so that kind of immerses us in that and it really helps them to enter in. They're playing with their Legos or puzzles or clay, but they're listening. And if I think they're not listening, I stop and I ask them a random question, just like a teacher would at school, you know? So Joseph, what'd you think of that when uh, King Louis, that, you know? And um, oh. so, but they're, they're listening, they are listening. And then it's cool to me with the kids because um, since they're all studying the same thing in the family, um, when they go to playtime later, they're making guillotines together because they're all, it, you know, so they're all studying the same thing. So their play has to do with whatever they're studying together in history, you know, and so it's just, that's kind of cool. I, I always enjoy, cause I think that like even reinforces what they're learning. They're like yeah. thinking about it in their head. And, um, that's so cool. yes, we do that for a bit and then, um, we'll have another break do some chores and then I kind of give them a long break. And then in the afternoon, the older ones, I'll do some more intense stuff with them. Like maybe some Latin uh, writing, like essay writing compositions, like things that are the little guys don't need to necessarily do. Mm. And that requires, so that's me from the babies asleep. Uh, the toddler and the little guys have been loved and played with, and they're kind of in a tireder state so they can kind of entertain themselves for a bit. Um, and so I have some time to kind of zero in on the older ones. I see. So that's how it works in this house. But I know if I knew 20 homeschooling moms in this town, there's probably 20 different ways they handle the schedule. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like that Lego learning. Cause I guess it's similar to me. It's like, I put a podcast on whilst I'm doing the dishes and so I'm yeah. still learning, you know? Um, yeah. and also like that would really work in with like, you know, people with ADHD and stuff, you know, you can keep your hands busy, but you can still uh, yeah. pay attention um but yeah so i mean i guess that's the cool thing about homeschooling is there's there's no right way to do it but there is probably a wrong way to do it and you know we're not teaching yeah. them anything uh um, yes. i guess that's the, that's the case with everything in life but one thing that you know is like how how do you manage different levels 
because obviously in school it's kind of like okay everyone's between these air, these ranges i can right. talk to everyone pretty much at this level there'll be the, a few outliers on the bottom and a few outliers at the top but most people will be but obviously you've got from what, 14 to one years old so there's a big range there and yes. so how do you how do you say i just feel like you'd be bouncing around the room like are you doing this okay you're doing this are you doing this are you doing this and is that how how it is is that manageable (laughs) yes but it's like a peaceful bouncing so like the oldest kids are probably a little more independent so my 12 year old my 10 year old it's like you explain to them this is how you multiply a fraction and you sit with them and you multiply a few fractions and then it's like now you've got 10 fractions to multiply i'm going to go read spelling words to your five-year-old brother right now if you get stuck circle that one go on to the next one i'll be back in a minute you know and so just kind of i have them all at a table together at the kitchen table after breakfast and you know for the most part they're working independently but when they get stuck i go to the one that's stuck and then help that one through and then someone else is probably needing assistance but it's not it's not crazy there i mean there's some times where there's three of them that all want me to help them right now because they're stuck but it's just again move on to something else when i'm with you i'll be with you you know and this is a game in the classroom you know you've got 30 kids and the teacher can't help everyone at once. So, um, so yeah, so there's some of that. And then, like I said, the older they get, the more independent they are. There's, there's, there's learning to read when you're little and you're learning to read. And then when you're older, you're reading to learn. And so, um, so as they get older, they can, I can get them a math textbook that explains to them for me, how you're going to do this. And then if you're really stuck, I'll come help you. But the older ones, I'd say, maybe 11 and up can kind of usually figure out uh, how they're going to do this math problem on their own. But if they can't, I'll come help them. Um, so, but yeah, so a lot of that is just bouncing around having them. And then, like I said, um, sometimes we learn things all together. So like um, history and science and catechesis, we do that all together. And I'm aiming at the oldest ones. And the little guys are in the room and they know they have to be quiet and they're listening and they pick up more than you'd think, you know, mm-hmm. like a six year old listening to something targeted at a 10 year old will pick up a decent. I mean, they do. They really do. They pick up more than you think. Mm. So and if they have a question, I'll answer it and explain it in a six year old's terms. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I when I do when we do stuff like that, history, science, um, catech- catechesis, I aim at the older kids and yeah, then. Okay. Whatever the little ones pick up, that's great. But for them, I get, you know, I'll get like a book about if we're doing biology and we're talking about cells, I'm not expecting the five-year-old to get a whole lot of that. But with him, I'll get a book about tadpoles turning into frogs. And so that's his biology. We'll just sit at night, read three picture books, and then I'll sneak in one little nonfiction child level science book and and they you know kids are interested in how frogs turn and tadpoles turn into frogs so they're not like we're doing school at bedtime they're kind of like cool that's cool yeah it's education it's not school um what would you say to people that are like i'm not really teacher type because you mentioned two things that cause me anxiety is like teaching latin (laughs) and teaching maths and i'm like oh man i'm gonna have to learn how to speak latin in order to teach them latin and i'm gonna have to learn maths in order to do the math like if they come to me with problems like i don't know how to work out this sum i'd be like not me either. You're on your own. See you later. Uh... Yes. Yes. So my, all, I, like I said, I was not good at math in school. And when my oldest daughter was going after like third grade math, like after like short division, I was gone. Like, <laughs> and so I was, I would have to teach, like I got a textbook, like I said, that explained 
really thoroughly how to do this. And I was just learning along with her. And but now that the other ones are coming along, I'm like, oh, long division, this is easy. Multiplying fractions, okay. But I had to relearn it myself right. um, if I ever learned it in the first place. Um, Latin, uh, I did take Latin in high school, but I hadn't, I mean, I'm 43, I hadn't looked in it since. So um, there was a lot of just kind of fumbling along. And then I was able to find a curriculum that is really good for teaching me too. You know, so I'm learning with my kids. And I actually really like that. I feel like, I, there's a lot of gaps in my own education and I was a really good student and I got like almost perfect grades. And yet I feel like I learned nothing in school. I feel extremely uneducated. I, um, I felt, I felt like I just knew how to work the system. I just knew how to like be responsible and turn things in on time or whatever. So I don't actually feel like my education was that great. And so yeah. I love learning stuff along with my kids. I feel like excited. And then I'll read a book or something and there'll be something in the book that I'm like, Oh, I was just learning about this with the kids. And I feel really excited. So yeah, yeah. Um, math, I've definitely like learned math as an adult. And also, but also with Latin math, that kind of stuff, there's a lot of options. So um, my oldest daughter did Latin, I got a DVD. And there'd be like a 10 minute Latin lesson with like a, an amazing, hilarious Latin teacher. And she'd watch the DVD for 10 minutes. And then there'd be a worksheet that went with it. And there was a answer key. And mm -hmm. so she watched the lesson, she'd do it, and then I would just grade it by the answer key. And so I didn't actually, she learned Latin on a much higher level than what I knew, understood, or had learned because of DVDs. And I know there's math programs like that too, where you can get a DVD um, or you can stream it. And it's like a high quality math teacher who is giving the lesson. And then there's a workbook that you purchase and you just grade it. So um, I know people who hire math tutors or Latin tutors, if they want that done, they just find someone in the town, maybe even a uni student who's looking for a little extra cash and they come and teach math to the kids. Um, so yeah, if, if there's an area of real struggle, um, there's lots of ways around that that are, or I even know some high schools in town will let like part-time enrollment. So the kid can go just for science to dissect the frogs or whatever. Oh, okay. um, so yeah, there's there's definitely ways around that if if there's and I would say that's not really an issue until at least like eleven or twelve years old. Like anything that a ten year old could be expected to learn, mom and dad could probably figure out in a few minutes looking over it. <laughs> you you know? hope so. Eh? When they kind of get older, that that becomes like uh, I don't you know my daughter's last year of math. She'd bring me stuff and I'd be like I'm sorry I have no idea how to do that either. You know? Okay. Um, but she's in a math class now in high school and she's doing fine. So I didn't mess her up too bad. So oh good. Good, good. Um, we've hit the hour mark and I have uh, a thousand other questions. Um, so maybe, uh, would you happy, be happy to, I'll, I'll sign off and then maybe we'll stick around and answer a few questions. Okay, yeah, cool. That's fine. Okay, well, thank you for joining us on this episode and there will be more to come for those of you that were just listening then. Um, so stay tuned and see when that comes out. Um, but thank you very much Kelly and uh, we'll be in touch with more um, I'm sure there are going to be more questions about this and more questions about everything it's been such an interesting episode I look forward to it so thank you very much for uh, for coming on and everybody thank you for listening and tuning in to another episode of Curiously Catholic remember if you want to get involved in Evangelion's ministry check us out at evangelion.co.nz or our Facebook page or our Instagram handles so get involved and uh, stay curious and stay, th uh, stay Catholic. Thank you. God bless.